0: Hi, I'm Heather Hansen, and I'm here with Chris and Peter on the Culture Matters Podcast.
1: When you're developing your international business, one thing is often forgotten, cultural differences. The Culture Matters International Business Podcast does exactly that. Focus on international business and cultural differences. Chris and Peter guide you through the maze of business and cultural differences in every podcast episode. Get the global perspective here at the Culture Matters International Business Podcast.
2: Hi, Heather. Good morning. Good evening. Good afternoon. Um, we're going to find out uh, which one is true. I'm going to say hi to Peter. How's Peter?
1: I'm doing well. I'm in Atlanta and you are in
2: I'm in Paris and Heather, you're the guest today, so um, where are you? Tell us a little bit uh, about yourself, um, a bit of an introduction about yourself and and what is your so-called cultural frame of reference? And with that, I mean if you stay two weeks in Cancun, it doesn't give you a lot of Mexican uh, culture if you want, so it's a longer stay at least, all right? So
0: yeah. take it away. Well, good morning and good afternoon to you both. (laughs) I am in Singapore right now, which is very much evening, eight o'clock at night here. Um, But I am originally from California and I spent the first 22 years or so of my life there. Um, I spent a couple summers in Switzerland working During my studies, I spent a semester abroad in Austria, I spent a semester in Malta, and then once I graduated, I moved to Denmark to be with my then boyfriend, now husband. So thank goodness there's a happy ending to that. I don't encourage a lot of people to make that move, but it did end well. So far, so good. Uh, So I've spent a total of eight years in Denmark in two stints, and I've spent the remaining 12 years here in Singapore. So I celebrated my 20 years abroad this, this year on the 4th of July. So I consider it my own little private Independence Day. And yeah, so I've been all over North America, Europe and Southeast Asia in any case, uh, are the three areas that have influenced me and my life up to this point?
1: Excellent. So, and which uh, language? You, you, I saw your TED talk. You speak of obviously in English. You, I think you mentioned yes. you, uh, you speak uh, Danish as well. Correct?
0: Yes, I speak Danish fluently, and that's due to having lived there and now being married to my husband. And my kids speak Danish as well, so we have a mix of Danish and English at the home in in the home. Um, and I did a bachelor's degree in German. So that's what took me originally to Switzerland, to Austria, and that was why I was spending time in those those countries. Excellent. So that,
1: br- that brings up a, a question, which is, of course, culture matters. We talk about uh, the differences in national culture and how that can impact mm-hmm. uh, the dynamic between people and, of course, uh, how companies want to do business abroad, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we we like to take the cultural angle. We do that normally uh uh, uh, with uh, a couple of dimensions, uh, four dimensions to be exact that, we, exact that we use. But in the TED Talk, you mentioned the way we speak is part of who we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, of course, then directly relates to culture. So have you come across the mix of how culture impacts language, language impacts culture, and are there any stories that you can share?
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any way to truly separate language and culture. They're so linked. And just from my own life, I've had very different experiences in the different languages that I speak and in how people view me, see me, judge me, right? So I was born into a very globally prestigious language and accent of that language. So for me, moving around the world is quite easy. Uh, I speak my native language just about anywhere I go if I want to. Even in Denmark or or German speaking countries, I can always switch to English and regain my power and be in my my own linguistic home. Right? Um, and moving to Singapore, for example, being a white Western English speaker with an accent that is highly regarded has enabled me to build the company that I have. And and. It truly comes down to that. The way that an an American, a Westerner, English speaker is viewed, especially in the field that I'm in, which is communication training and clear articulation, coaching, presentation skills training, that was highly regarded. I could earn more money than any local trainer. I could work with higher level clients at a much younger age. And be, simply because I came from the outside and my language was as it was, and it was more about the perception of the people here towards me than anything having to do with me. Right. But then I've been on the opposite end when I've been in Denmark speaking Danish. And even though I walk into a shop and I look just like everyone else, the minute I open my mouth, everyone is confused. It's like, wait, hold on. You're not like us. You're different. You're foreign. Wait, wait, wait. wait. And then there's a completely different cultural reference that comes into play. What? Uh, Do the Danes or the Swiss or the Austrians, what do they think about foreigners? And then where does my foreignness rank on that scale, right? Because there's a very big difference between foreigners. And luckily, I'm the white Western foreigner, um, who's attempting to speak the language. And so I'm much more respected and accepted. But there's still A lot of those dynamics happening, depending on who you are, where you're from, which language you choose to use and how you use that language is going to have an enormous impact on the relationships around you and how you're perceived and how you are accepted or rejected by those cultures. So um, I'm not sure if that's exactly what you were looking for there, but, but that's sort of the deeper experience that I've had with this language culture mix.
1: Okay. Well, I, I think that's what I mean. But, Chris, I think you, you probably want to, uh, to tag on to yeah,
2: that, right? Yeah, it's, it's because um, then I would think, if you haven't already said that, that you have an advantage uh, of being native English-speaking. Um, having an advantage over over, over myself, over Peter. Mm-hmm. We're, we're both mm-hmm. not native English speakers, even mm-hmm. though we have a decent command of the language. Um, and and <clears throat> is, is, do you think that's the case? Uh, in when can you use? In other words, can you use your 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 native ability and vocabulary that you have uh, in your business to uh, to to profit from that? I guess.
0: Um, in my particular business, absolutely. I often I often joke that I could be a multimillionaire by now if I played into the linguistic bias that is in the world. So Mm -hmm. if I, when I first started my YouTube channel, I was doing a series of videos on, you know, how to pronounce certain words, because that's the biggest question I get, right, is how to pronounce, and we're talking 10 years ago, 2012, and I guess it's 11 years now, Um, and I would do these videos on how to pronounce, but who I stopped doing it because I had such an ethical issue with it of who am I to say how to pronounce something? Someone from the UK pronounces it differently, someone from Singapore pronounces it differently, everyone pronounces it differently, but because I am an American English speaker with what is considered generally to be a general American accent, mm-hmm. I can be an authority. I can declare myself an expert, declare myself the authority and basically prescribe to the world how they should speak. And everyone listens to me and I play into their deepest fears, their deepest worries, their deepest insecurities. And I can become rich and famous doing that. And there are plenty of YouTubers who have gone that route and have done that. Um, So for me personally, in my field of work, I could profit enormously. And even though I haven't gone that direction, I know for a fact I've still profited enormously and have been very privileged Because of who I am, what I look like, the language I speak. Now, looking from a broader perspective of global business, um, you know, when we look around the world, the global business language is English. That's what we are using across languages, cultures, borders in multinational companies. Most companies are fully English policy um, for all of their international communication. So, Mm -hmm. of course, the native speaker is going to have a, a an easier time they're going to be in a more powerful position they can speak more authentically they speak more fluently they live up to all the expectations and standards that we have for what leadership looks like which is also a very western construct and and therefore they they do have that privilege at the very same time however they can also cause the most problems in international communication because they speak too fast, we use idioms, we use cultural expressions, you know, ask an American to translate the whole nine yards or touch base, it's hard for us to even do that because it's so ingrained and so much a part of our language and our culture that we don't even know, oh, that comes from football, that comes from baseball, you know, we don't realize that when we're speaking. So the monolingual English speaker often can struggle or create larger problems Linguistically, they often don't even realize they're doing it, but everyone else suffers um, in those kinds of situations.
1: Yeah, so you you mentioned uh, that you used to teach how to pronounce uh, better in English. I guess that might be still relevant for uh, certain professions, I guess, if you're an actor and you want to be famous in Hollywood. and. (laughs) And you're coming from from somewhere else. Maybe that's helpful. I know that that there are people from Australia who are now famous actors, but they speak in an American uh, accent. Uh, But you mentioned in your TED talk that it would be, it's not necessarily a good idea to teach that it's better to teach listening. So for others to, or Americans, or maybe uh, English speakers to listen to the rest of the bilingual crowd on how they Pronounce things, or how, what, what, what the messages they want to transmit, but there's definitely a cultural component to that as well, right? So I was wondering, have you come across cultural differences when it comes to teaching that? Is there a culture that you come came across that is better in adap- adapting listening skills that, that you probably teach? And what is that listening skill? How do you teach that?
0: Mm, yeah, those are really good questions. As you know, and it's very tempting to jump into some cultural stereotypes here about who are better listeners and who are not from a national culture perspective, which I don't necessarily want to go there because I think I've seen more of a difference between people who are monolingual and people who are multilingual. And um, if you go to places like Switzerland, where we have multiple. Multiple official languages, where you go to when you go here in Singapore, even where we have four official languages and multiple cultures living side by side. We are in an international bubble where we are constantly adapting, we're constantly reading rooms, we're constantly fitting into different cultural situations and contexts. And I think if you grow up in those kinds of, of places, You learn these skills from a very young age and you have a greater understanding and knowledge of what it's like to speak different languages and how things can get lost in translation. You learn those skills for checking for understanding at a much earlier stage, because Mm. when you're a monolingual speaker, you don't realize how easily that can happen. You haven't really experienced it because you haven't gone through that learning process of really living and speaking another language. And so I see really the biggest difference between. People who grow up as monolingual speakers who never learn another language, and these are typically our English speakers, unfortunately, because so many people in the world speak English, and versus people who speak multiple languages and have struggled across languages. And, and they tend to be better listeners. They tend to check for understanding. They tend to do those skills that and they do it naturally because they've lived it right um so i would say those are probably the biggest differences but i think it's easy to fall into that trap of saying well you know in the east they're they're quieter and they listen more and in the west they talk more um there there are some stereotypes around that but when you get into a space like singapore where everyone is mixed together those national characteristics melt away and we start to see more personal preference and and linguistic preference coming to the surface yeah
1: I, I read a couple of books and, and, and articles about language and how that impacts uh, the dynamics uh, the n- dynamic between people and one of the things that always comes up is that uh, if if a person is uh, using lingua franca or, or English especially mm-hmm. that it and it also goes to system one and system two by the mm-hmm. way right if you yeah. if you look uh, thinking uh, yeah. thinking. So it's, 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 it's can cause fatigue Mm -hmm. uh, for people need to speak the second language. And at some point, uh, it might be a cognitive overload and they check out of the conversation and things like that. And I always, always wondered. And I think it goes back to your listening argument. Uh, it may also create, uh, cause some fatigue for uh, the listener, because if you are Mm -hmm. uh, the, native speaker and you have to listen to somebody who speaks broken english all day long uh, you need to pay attention constantly and it impacts a different part of the brain and it's causing some fatigue but what i want to get into is what i also read is that as a result sometimes what can happen is that if somebody speaks english with a strong accent or makes mistakes that uh, a person, it uh, could be a manager or a boss, uh, also then um, perceives that person potentially as being less competent competent in a certain skill. And that, of course, can impact then the, the professional uh, path of that person yeah. and can cause frust- frustration and it's actually not good for a company. Have you witnessed this as well where uh, people are ju- just judging the accent and in fact, then um, uh, attach maybe a lower uh, competency in terms of pro- other professional skills?
0: Yes, absolutely. That's the short answer. Um, accent bias is a very, very real thing. We have study after study in every country. Say, say that again, Heather? Um, actually, even accent bias.
2: Accent bias. Accent, accent
0: bias. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, very, very real. We have studies from multiple countries, including uh, Holland, for example, in the Netherlands that look at accent bias. And we know that it is making an impact in hiring decisions, it impacts promotion decisions, Uh, it impacts access to healthcare, it impacts parole decisions, Uh, whether jurors listen to witnesses on the witness stand, it impacts almost every single area of our lives. Um, looking from a business perspective, and this is why the industry of accent reduction is what it is because, and this is the hypocrisy of my entire career, is that I believe we need to work to fix this bias, make people aware of the fact that when they are listening to someone with a different accent, that they are shutting down, sometimes due to fatigue, but usually it's an unconscious choice to say, oh, I don't want to listen to this person, too much effort, or um, oh, this person sounds like something else in my life, And, and they just don't listen. So, it's either going to be something like that um, or they just simply don't they, – they just don't listen. They just shut down, right? And we have to change that. I want to change that. I want to raise awareness about that. My whole next book is on accent bias um, and raising awareness around that concept because uh, – we're so focused on how people speak, right? And But we never look at how are we listening to others. And this is completely culturally defined. It depends on the movies you grew up watching. It depends on everything. And it will impact every area of your life and especially your career. So this hypocrisy comes because people come to me and say, well, I want to sound like you. And I'm saying, but you shouldn't have to sound like me because... You know, it's the rest of the world that has the problem. Like They need to be listening to you and accepting you for who you are because your accent has everything to do with your identity, where you're from, the languages you speak. Um, So so I really feel that we need to be putting a lot more focus on listening, recognizing, accent recognition instead of accent reduction, uh, because this is a very, very real problem very real problem in all areas of our of our lives and it's very socially constructed culturally constructed very closely linked to racism to other forms of of um you know uh, discrimination Mm -hmm. in the workplace and just in our cultures in general
2: and what what i get from what your what your your answer to peter is is that this accent bias is generally usually negative correct
0: Yes, but it could be positive, right? Because no, I've also I, been on the other side point. of that.
2: <clears throat> yeah, that's when yeah. I when I do when I, I have, when and I do that an
0: would be my accent privilege.
2: Yeah, when I do mm-hmm. an interview, and I, and for me, and and it's a it's somebody at least who has a decent command of English, whether they're French or German or. Or say American or British or South African or native, mm-hmm. native English speakers. Sometimes I think, and that, that's my bias, but for me, that's a positive bias. I think, thank God, at least, you know, I will not be struggling with, with getting some decent answers. Uh, or when I do mm-hmm. a lecture or when I do a workshop, uh, in front of a, a group of people that actually speak, speak at least English because most of the, the stuff that I do is in English. Uh, and then I'm, I'm positively mm-hmm. biased towards that, um, uh, the, the fact that they speak good English. And then you can also be entertained by accent, I think. Um, the, the fact that the Aussies end everything on an uptone. Uh, every sentence they, they, they pronounce or they, they say it always ends on an uptone. And it's, it can be funny. Indians can yeah, be. Yeah, and the government is not very helpful, and it's funny to sometimes listen to, and that makes, it gives, for me, it gives puts a smile on my face, because I think it's interesting. They speak really good English, but they have such a endearing accent, for me, so it doesn't... Mm-hmm. Always- yeah,
0: but see, yeah, but this is where we have to stop for a second, because this is something, for example, I heard this a lot in Denmark, Right. Because I spoke incredibly fluently. I still do. You know, I speak very fluently, but it's very obvious. I have an American accent and we'll be in a business meeting. I could say something and there'll be some kind of funny response and I'll be like, what? You know? And they're like, oh, no, it's just your accent. You know? And I'll be like, oh, OK. Um, all right. And you know, do you want to, should we switch to English, for example? That's usually what I'll say if I'm kind of ticked off about what they are implying. And I'll if say, would you, you rather speak English? No, no, no,
2: no. means angry, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. To use a nice American expression.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but yeah, so I'll say, you know, do you want to switch to English? Because then I get my power back. Then nobody's giggling at me or amused by me or entertained by me. I can get back to business. Because if we were speaking English right now, there's no way that you would be giggling about how I speak or at all distracted from my message. And then usually the reaction is, no, 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 we love your accent. We love it. It's just so charming. Like, <laughs> we we love the way you sound when you speak. and And they mean it in all honesty, in the most positive way, right? But this is how micro inequities show up in the workplace. Mm -hmm. It is a constant struggle where when I hear that every single day, and I have it pointed out to me every single day that I'm different, that I don't belong, that I'll never be good enough in Danish, that I'll always be an outsider, I'll always be seen as a foreigner before anything else. That's what wears people down, right? And for, for me in that situation, it was very much accent specific, but it could even be, you know, race and culture, people constantly asking, where are you from? And people don't understand why is that offensive. Well, when you hear it every single day, it's like, I was born and raised here. (laughs) Like what? And Mm -hmm. it it just gets very, very tiring. Right? So I mean, even when we have, we think we're being so nice and kind, and we're really truly trying to encourage other people like, no, I love your accent. Keep talking. Oh, say that again. I love the way that sounds. It's like, Yeah, they're they're just trying to communicate. They aren't trying to be your entertainment. They aren't trying to um, be funny or cute necessarily, especially in a business context. And if I was at a a dinner party, which believe me, it happened at every dinner party as well, um, then it was slightly different, but even that got tiring. But I I think people felt that they could play with me like that because I was so fluent. Um, And the accent didn't really match the fluency of it. Uh, but of course, when you learn a language, when you're 24, (laughs) 25, it's very, very difficult to, and Danish of all languages, the, 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 sounds are quite different. Um, so, so, I mean, it's interesting. It's a very interesting conversation and it's something we don't talk about a lot about how these things can be seen differently based on language and accent. And of course, luckily, because I was American, they liked my accent. They found it charming. I can tell you, they have a very different perspective of someone with an Arabic accent. I would have been completely rejected. It would have never been seen as charming. They would have never been giggling. They would have never taken me seriously. And yeah. um, so act, that's how accent bias shows up. And, and that's why I say that I am very privileged, even speaking foreign languages, that I have an English accent on it and that I'm white. That's That served me very, very well, um, even though I have felt at times that I haven't been taken seriously or respected at the level I deserve. Um, But that's the clients who come to me. They're experiencing exactly the same things. And that's why they say, I want to sound like you. And I say, but you shouldn't have to sound like me. Uh, But I absolutely understand why they want that. And depending on where you are in the world, they want different things. So when I first came to Singapore, I even had people say, how can you teach pronunciation? You're American. They were raised in a British system. So real, good, proper English is British English. But of course, anybody under probably 45 they want American English. They were raised on YouTube and they were, you know, now the new generation's on TikTok. And they're very much influenced by American media and culture. So I also see that difference in where I am in the world. In Denmark, they also lean towards British English more than America, uh, American English. So there's definitely a preference there as well. But you never get anyone say, I wanna have Irish English. I wanna sound Australian. I want you know, they, they, there's a definite hierarchy. Uh, And privilege that comes along with the way we speak.
1: Yeah, can you teach me uh, Scottish exactly? I mean, it's yeah, (laughs) clearly American English is is, has become dominant. It's 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 also uh, Chris and I speak Spanish. Uh, uh, In fact, I speak Spanish at home, and and over the years, uh, I think I've perfected it also to maybe to to uh, to your point of Danish. Uh, but the Latin Americans, there's also a ge- generic Latin American Spanish, uh, which is not Venezuelan or it's not from Argentina. It's also not from Spain. It's somewhere in the middle. Call it CNN Spanish, if you will, although there are people <laughs> from different, different nationalities there as well. But I wanted to go back to you. Said I was at the dinner party. I saw this in your TED talk mm. as well. I was at the dinner party in Denmark and uh, this happened to me a lot in the beginning when I was yeah. in uh, in Venice Vietnam and other countries. You're sitting at the table, people try to be nice to you and speak English, but they quickly switch to the native language because they're having a beer, having a good time, they know each other, or the colleagues or friends or whatever, and you are sitting at the dinner table, so what happens is people start to joke, and, uh, and now you're at the highest level, in my opinion, at the highest level of language, which is uh, jokes, humor, and that's mm-hmm very very difficult but, but what we always talk about is that humor is also not cultural neutral no, so what, fu- what what the Dutchman might, might find, find funny is not necessarily funny to someone else but now you have language in the mix as well so can, can you tell us a little bit about what you experience when it comes to humor and jokes and, and how that impacts uh, the, the dynamic between people and how the language mixes in
0: yeah i I love i love how you say that it's not culturally neutral because nothing is culturally neutral right and especially humor and even looking with the language mix we can just look in english look at the show i don't know if you've seen the show the office and there's a uk version of the office and there's a u.s version of the office and when i first saw the uk version i was like i don't get it i don't get it (laughs) i don't think this is funny at all. I hate this show. And I had an American friend who thought it was amazing. And I was just like, I don't get it. But I do not really get British humor very often at all. I I just don't get it. And then the American office came out and I thought, I'm not watching that. That's so dumb. And I watched it. I loved it. I loved every second of it. Right. And it's so incredibly different from the UK version. So even within the same language... The humor is going to be completely different. Our even our sayings, our idioms, everything. It, it's very, very different. And that's very culturally based, right? But then of course, when you add language, a foreign language in there, it makes it a lot harder because we're so witty in the way that we use language and the play on words and and that can be very difficult to pick up on. This is probably one of the reasons so many people want to learn idioms. And people, especially back in the day when I was doing more language teaching, they always wanted to learn idioms. And I would always say, I don't want to teach you idioms because I don't want you using them because people don't understand them. If you're using all these sayings and phrases and kind of joking, witty plays on words, no one in the global economy understands that. And so I say, okay, I'll teach it to you so you can understand it if you hear someone say it. But I really don't want you to use it because that's not effective communication. Nobody is going to understand what you're saying. Um, At the same time, of course, we can go back and say, yeah, but these things are so fun. This is what brings us together. This is how we learn culture. And that is true if the speaker remembers to translate it. If they say something funny or a play on words or something that really plays with language, it's important that they stop and say, we say this means this, or in America, we think this is funny because, or, you know, the words are like this. And to explain it, then everyone can laugh about it. But if you don't go that extra step to explain it or recognize the difference, then it's really just a joke for you and maybe the other native speakers around you. Yeah. Um, and it's more of a power play, right? Than it is an inclusive, fun environment.
2: Yeah. So there's there's humor uh, and culture, which and language, which you cannot separate. Um, how about um, culture and and phenomenon like um, let's pick one directness, for instance. One of the stereotypes that the mm-hmm. Dutch carry with them is their is their directness. they well, we mm-hmm. call it honesty, but it's it comes across as being direct, uh, even blunt. Um, the British are horribly polite. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They're not really sorry. They're, that's just how they are. Um, so how does how does that how is that influenced uh, and uh, say directness and, and or feedback, which is maybe something that you could link, link into because for the Dutch in general, positive feedback is implicit and too a little bit too much positive feedback is seen as um, as suspicious. What do you mean I am fantastically good, I'm outrageously fine and and all these all these typical American um expressions whereby a dutchman looks and what have you been smoking right i mean even in in (laughs) the dutch language doesn't have but the scandinavian language do have which is the the law of john the Jantelager, so to speak Mm -hmm. um and don't think you are anyone don't think you will become anyone don't think you are better than anyone so about directness and and these and, and say feedback How is that is that that you need to understand the language really in its finesse to to not to blunder really.
0: Mm -hmm. And and yet again, even in my own language, I struggle with this. My last book. It was written with a London publisher. My editor was British, sitting in London. Mm -hmm. Uh, The whole team is in London. And I would send in my sparkling, perfect chapters that I'd worked so hard on and I was so emotionally attached to. And I would get an email back like, Hi, Heather, this looks great. Thank you. (laughs) Sincerely. (laughs) Best regards, kind regards. Mm -hmm. And And I sat there like, what? Like, that's it? That's all you've got for me? Like, I poured my heart and soul into this. I need my American. Heather, this is amazing. We love it. This is so fantastic. We've never read anything like it. You're brilliant. And and I was getting, it's really good. This is great. And then I'd go to my agent, who's also from the UK, and I'd be like, Chris, they said it was great. What does that mean? (laughs) And he's like, it's great, Heather. Like, they really, if they said it's great, they really mean it. It's great. And so I was having to get, my own language translated to me because really it's, it's a very deep deep cultural difference. And, you know, people view Americans as so over the top, too big, too loud, too much, too this, too that. And as that being very superficial uh, yet for me, as directness is honesty for you, that kind of reaction for me is quite sincere. That's, that's how I view the world is how I see the world. I get excited about things and, and I might use hyper hyperbole from time to time. but, but I do mean it when I say it. And so it's very hard for me to get feedback that's just good. And I'm like, what do you mean good? <laughs> I don't do good. I do amazing. <laughs> I do brilliant. I do excellent, right? And so but going back to sort of this, you know, Dutch directness and, and the Danes and Jentola, I mean, that was very difficult for me to manage as an American who's been raised to get my gold star, be the best, always achieve mm-hmm. um, and celebrate success. That was very, very difficult for me in the Danish context. To where you really couldn't celebrate success. And, and even if I tried to celebrate someone else's success, they didn't take it seriously. Like they thought I was putting on a show or being superficial when truly I was very happy for them and, and proud of them or whatever it might have been. Um, so, so these things are all very, very linked. I think they do have a lot more to do with language or with culture actually, but it comes out in the way we define these concepts with language. So if you look at directness what you define and think of as direct is very different from what i would define and think of as evidently this is the problem we see with sorry
2: i said evidently that's yeah
0: yeah yeah it's it is it's different and if we look at for example we see this a lot with company visions and mission statements and our values right and they'll say something like respect respect every company has respect as a value well the way you would define respect, would be to be very direct, to give feedback. That's being respectful. For you to sit in silence when you know and can see that something isn't right is probably the ultimate form of disrespect. Whereas if we go to Japan and they stay silent, they're showing respect because they would never challenge or say something against someone who is older or someone in a leadership position, right? So this is a really simple, basic example. Of that cultural difference, but it has to do with how we define certain concepts. And a lot of multinational companies haven't thought so far to think, well, maybe our employees in Asia define this word differently when they hear the word respect. What does that actually mean? How do they live that versus how do we live that in the US? What does respect mean to us? How do we show respect? And we often forget to create shared definitions across culture and that's i think where the language piece comes in
1: yeah the, the word respect comes up uh, quite a bit also with uh, with us it's uh i think
2: and then there's a breakup with the, the connection with peter at this moment and, uh,
1: not at the top at the at, at the oh am i still there
2: you're still there you but you're, you're you're breaking up slightly Oh, how's it now? Yeah, continue. It's fine.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm careful. okay. Uh, Chris is a bit pixely, and Chris, you're breaking up for me a little bit. I don't know. Peter's clear okay. for me though.
2: Okay, you're still fine, Heather. So okay, I was. You. Okay, yeah, I was talking about respect. Uh,
1: so the, uh, I mean, when we talk about cultural competence, it's uh, and and people say, like, well, what? How? How do we go about it? How do we? How do you teach that? And it always starts with awareness. that you need to be aware that this is actually there and it influences you and it influences me and it's and and from there you can get to understanding and knowledge and all of that and then and at some point of course you need to then respect it but respect is something that you just have to have and say like i'll respect that and then I understand it and I respect it, mm-hmm. and then you can get to cultural competence and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so respect is like is, is difficult, and mission statements are yeah. many times just empty phrases to me too. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we respect. Well, yeah, th- what does that mean? I mean, the Dutchman indeed uh, wants direct feedback, and including negative feedback. I worked at American companies and Dutch companies. I went to the American conference, and everything was great. The company was amazing. And the people in the room, <laughs> all the employees, were the best employees in the world. The reason that we are so good as a company is because you in the audience are the best. And there was <laughs> zero negative uh, feedback. You go to a Dutch, yeah. Dutch uh, gathering uh, in the same industry, and a lot of stuff came over across I mean, was communicated to the audience like all the things that went wrong and all the things that we need to do better and how is it possible that we did not reach our goals and here are the goals that we missed some of them and and this department worked on it and they, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, definitely. Um, and the Dutchman feels disrespected if only positive things are thrown at him and he knows that a couple of things went wrong and it's not being addressed. Mm-hmm. So this actually is also the, the, what the English says and the Dutch understands right i mean that's one the other yes, thing like yeah, an yeah. said, this is interesting and the dutchman thinks this is interesting and what <laughs> the english means is like i'm not <laughs> sure if i like this probably yeah. i don't like this mm-hmm. which brings me also to a ne- next topic you talk about this in your um, in your ted talk as well is is the is tone mm-hmm. tone is of importance how you say things mm-hmm. right you can mm-hmm. say uh, well yes and it can be right across as funny can come across as, as 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 aggressive how does that influence you think in also from a cultural angle
0: yeah i think the tone plays a really big role more than we really realize both in how we hear people and perceive people and also how we communicate this is a big struggle for a lot of my clients i use a an example sentence of i didn't say she likes chocolates And simple sentence, six words, very simple meaning, it seems like. But depending on which word you emphasize and how you use your tone, that sentence can have completely different meanings, implications Mm -hmm. underneath the language. And I had a French client once. And when we were doing this exercise, it's like lightning struck him. (laughs) He said, I can't believe it. He said, now I get it. He said, you have such a huge advantage over me because I don't know how to do this. A a native speaker can naturally do this, and they have extra meaning on the language. I don't know how to put the extra meaning on the language. I know how to say the words, but I don't know how to give the meaning. Because to say something like, I didn't say she likes chocolates, versus I didn't say she likes chocolates, totally different meanings. And my French client is saying, I didn't say she likes chocolates. And it's just all the same. And he's struggling to figure out, well, how do I then change my tone on this word versus that word? And and it's, I mean, I, I'm just thinking very specifically of my French client right now, but it's any of my clients from anywhere. It's nothing French specific. Um, but it's that extra layer of meaning that we impart through tone. And that's also very culturally charged in how we understand tone, how we hear tone. I remember the first time I experienced this was when i was studying in malta and malta speaks english it's an english-speaking country for anyone who has not been there Uh, they have it as an official language i went there to study english linguistics actually because i wanted to go somewhere different not just to the uk and uh, to do english which everybody does um and when i was there the way that they speak english their variety of english is quite different in the patterning and it's influenced by so many different languages, from Italian, from Maltese, from Arabic. And it has a more staccato rhythm. And in my ear, it sounded very angry. And I thought everyone hated me and was angry at me for the whole semester. All my teachers, all my professors. is like, why is everyone so angry here? Everyone is so angry. But it was because of this harder more staccato Mm -hmm. variety of english that they spoke and when i became a little more observant and i started listening to how they engaged with each other i thought oh it's not just me they're angry at everyone like this is just how they talk this is okay Uh, and and so it's funny because if i had been a bit older and in a working environment i may have gotten defensive I may have thought, why are you so, ang- I've done nothing, I'm doing my, you know, there could have been a misunderstanding there that was actually simply tone, a tonal difference in their variety of English versus mine, even though we're all fluent speakers, uh, they could be native speakers in, in Maltese speaking English, and and yet it was simply tone that was was the issue for me. And I've experienced a similar, similar feeling in Singapore, because again, the tone is very, very different. And, and it's, it's very staccato. It has a different rhythm and cadence. So we need to be more aware of that, that just because you think someone sounds angry, you think they sound defensive, you think they sound superficial. It doesn't necessarily mean that's true. That's based on your understanding and perceptions of language and culture and the people around you. Yeah. And, and that's something we don't always talk about. Right.
1: Yeah, that's, I think that's a very important piece of advice. Uh, the, what, when, uh, when I, well, I was working in the airline with the airlines, I worked for American, for an American company and for a Dutch company. And some of these Americans were sent to the Netherlands as expats because it was a joint venture between mm-hmm. those two companies. And I, I always warned them and said, well, if, if the Dutch tell you or react in a certain way, um, it's not, it's not personal. It's not about you. You do have to understand that that's just the way they act and the way they talk. And when they came back after a couple of months in the meetings, I'm so happy that you told me that because I was not aware of that and I was in meetings and I was just shocked. And then I thought, oh, this is not about me. This is not This is not about Americans. This is not about me. This is just how the Dutch uh, work. It leads me also to the question, and I actually, um, I'm not quite sure what you meant by it, but you, I think you mentioned like, you have a a a person of a certain nationality talking to another person of another nationality mm-hmm. in another country that they're not living in. Uh, and and the question then is asked, what is acceptable in terms of communication? And and and, and you mentioned something, well, it all depends about uh, on the context. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I'm not sure if I if I understood that.
0: Yeah. I truly believe that we're negotiating understanding in every single conversation. So, our English teachers have tried to tell us that there's one proper English, there's one standard English, but this is an illusion. It's socially defined, it's culturally defined. Mm-hmm. And when we live out in the world and we have people coming together, they are going to be adapting in the moment their language, their communication style everything about that interaction will be unique will be truly unique to those two individuals and the context or the environment that they are in so um, a frenchman and an indonesian sitting in singapore uh, they will communicate together in a very unique way based on their language levels their vocabularies their past experiences their life experiences their understanding of each other's cultures and of themselves and that will come out in their language and the communication and they will communicate one way at work and they'll communicate in a very different way at the bar on friday after work Um, and that's what i mean by the context on top of the cultural element is you know what Specific context are you in? The way that I speak Danish with my husband at home will be very different from the way I speak Danish with someone in a business setting or or with my children or whatever it might be. The way we communicate changes, it shifts, it molds, it adapts based on where we are, what we are doing, what we are trying to achieve. And we come to that mutual understanding, we negotiate that understanding in every single conversation. And it will be different depending on who we're speaking to. And it could be conscious, it could be unconscious. I mean, right now, speaking with both of you, I don't feel like I am consciously making any changes to how I would typically speak to anyone at home, Or, uh, but I'm quite sure that I'm probably aware somewhere that, oh, it's recorded, that it is a more formal conversation, that this will go out to the world. Others will listen, possibly people that do not have the same language level as the two of You could be listening. And so then I might adjust and I might choose different words and I might slow down or whatever. Right. So so that's really what I mean by that um, is that there is no one proper English. There isn't even one global English or one lingua franca. It doesn't exist. We are creating it in every conversation. And that's why it's very difficult to teach. And it's very difficult to learn because you don't know what you're going to experience when you get out in the world in the boardroom.
2: Yeah. And language on one side is really rudimentary. In other words, you don't need all the all the fluff to ask for a coffee, mm-hmm. please. With coffee now is good enough. It gets to the message, right? Um, and 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 that. So there's a lot of rudimentary stuff in language. On the other hand, if you, I don't know, we're such emotional social beings that we we need to to put a lot of, as as I say, fluff around it to uh, to make it come across really nice. Um, <clears throat> Peter, I'm looking at the time here. Uh, the time of, uh, the time, ta- recording time as such, and we're about 50 minutes, five, zero minutes in recording. Um, so I would, if that's okay, I would like to, um, go towards the last, two last questions for you, Heather, which is, um, if you could either in three points or in one sentence, uh, give some advice to, to the audience, if you want on, on language and culture. What would these points be in order to, to become better at this?
0: hmm three points or one sentence i can't have both
2: (laughs) you can have both okay we're flexible
0: (laughs) okay thank you you're flexible that's nice okay so three points my first one 100 is listen more we put so much focus on the speaker Mm -hmm. and put a lot of um, responsibility on the speaker and we need to shift that over to the listener in listening more listening better and second i would say learn languages i think that's the best way to understand how to communicate in diverse situations by learning languages and understanding um, the difficulties and challenges that come with that, as well as the insights you gain in different cultures through learning their languages and connecting with people in a different way. Uh, through language. And the last one, I think, is probably the most obvious, and to steal it from, you know, Steve Jobs, to be curious. I mean, that's the absolute fundamental, I think, of learning culture and experiencing the world around us, is going into every conversation being curious about what can I learn from this person, um, and trying not to be on the judgmental side of why do they sound like that? Why are they different? Look for the similarity and be curious to find what is the similarity that you share? Because I really believe underneath it all, we're all very much the same. Um, and and it's about finding those similarities instead of focusing on the differences. Okay. So my sentence that I would say is to, is linked to number one, which is learn to listen in a way that makes people want to speak, because that's how you're going to learn more about them, about okay. their culture and really understand them as people beyond cultural difference, but to find those similarities.
2: It's funny, I had a, I had a session with a Belgian company some years ago and afterwards I was having a drink with one of the participants and the Dutch and the Belgians are quite different culturally, at least culturally. Language-wise, we can pretty much understand each other. And then I asked her, um, what is the one thing that a, that a Dutchman can do is uh, in, in order to get more business in Belgium? And she looked at me and she looked at me too long. Uh, so there was a heavy answer coming. And she simply said, mm. just shut up. That, was, that was, was simply, that was her answer before a Dutchman. Just shut up. And that was it. <laughs> okay, I had to buy her another drink I think. Um, Heather. There's uh, probably
0: many nationalities who could follow that advice. Yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I know. And the Dutch talk a lot. Anyways, um, if people would like to get in touch with you, how could they do? how can they do that? How could they do that?
0: I'm quite active on LinkedIn, so I love connecting uh-huh. with people there. But they can also visit my author website, which is heatherhansen.com. Or my company is globalspeechacademy.com.
2: Okay. All right. Uh, Peter, any last words from your side? No, not really. I enjoyed
1: it. I was. Uh, I, I wrote down, listen, lang- uh, learn language language, be curious. I think learning languages, though, is... Uh, close to my heart but it's also difficult it's difficult to tell somebody learn a language especially to someone who's not in that country right mm-hmm. so you, mm-hmm. you you know this mm-hmm. i mean you learned probably danish because you were uh, in denmark for a while uh, it's hard to learn danish as an yeah, american in the united it states is. we have to be mm-hmm. clear about that mm-hmm. but at the same time if you do learn the language you do have an advantage in doing business mm-hmm. in that country, too. So I do uh, agree with you, but it's not easy yeah. to learn a language but I, in a foreign I don't think country. you
0: even have to be fluent. You know, you don't have to learn. Just play on Duolingo or whatever the apps are, you know, oh, just no, get a taste Duol- for no. what is it like to. I know I don't I hate it, but just <laughs> get an idea of how hard it is to learn a language, how how, how difficult it is, the to how long it takes you to think. What is the right word to use in this sentence? You know yeah. How hard it is to memorize just those things, because that gives you that insight as into, oh, wow, I really do need to slow down because it does take a long time for me to follow. Oh, it's going too fast. I, I need to slow it down. Right. So just playing with language and attempting to learn languages, giving yourself a taste of different languages can uh, even if it's just tourist language just to get an idea and a feel for wow this isn't easy it's not that easy to get the perfect accent right or or pronounce something perfectly yeah Yeah. Yeah. agreed
2: all right okay chris yes heather um thank you so much um i think you're ready for a glass of wine the uh, in your time zone um (laughs) peter you're up for another cup of coffee and um i think i'm up for lunch here on this side So thank you very much again. And I'm pretty sure we'll bump into each other in the future.
1: Thank you. Overlooking cultural differences when you're developing your business internationally can be the biggest mistake you can make. Let Chris and Peter help you avoid those mistakes. Get in touch now. Go to culturematters.com.